Can you believe they're really arguing about who's number one? The other apostles think they're number one. Can you really believe that they're arguing about who's number one? It's got to be one of the big three, James or John or me. We were the first to follow. He called us and we followed. There was a moment where the three of us went up to the mountain and we saw Elijah and Jesus and Moses together and God spoke. It's got to be one of us, right? Jesus actually came to my house in Bethsaida in Galilee. He actually stayed in my bed. He preached at the synagogue next to my house. At one point, Jesus said to me, I was going to be a fisher of men. At one point, Jesus told me, go and fish and grab uh, that fish out of the pond and actually take the coin and I'll pay the taxes from that. I'm the one that stepped off the boat. None of these other knuckleheads had the guts to step out. I walked on water until I didn't. Jesus told me I'm the rock. Peter, you're the rock that the church is going to be built on. The gates of hell won't prevail. It's got to be me, right? I'm his number one guy. Welcome. Today we're going to talk about pride. Today we're going to discuss denial. We're going to continue on our sermon series called Kings for All. That even in our pride, even in our denial, even when we reject, even when we're disappointing to God, He is the King for all. Even when we didn't want to get out of bed on daylight savings time, those watching online, He's the King for all. We're grateful that you're here today. God has done some amazing things in our church and has continued to do amazing things over the last few weeks and months. And there's really a lot of blessing and anointing and, and power that's happening within the congregation. And it's because there's a bunch of hungry people seeking the kingdom of God. But today I want to talk about pride. Any prideful people in the house? Oh, second service is on fire. First service, they're all up early and kind of prideful, but quietly prideful. Second service, like, oh, I got two hands on this one. Today we're going to talk about pride. And, you know, Christians and non-Christians, the church and the unchurched know this text. And it says this, Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. Haughtiness doesn't mean how cute you look. It's arrogance. The prideful person's like, yeah, haughtiness, right? But the word is actually arrogance. And it's pride goes before destruction. And listen, even the godly Christian, even the pastor, even the person on stage, even the person that reads and devotes and teaches in uh, high school, junior high, kids, preschool, they can get trapped into what we call pride and it could lead us to denial and separating ourselves from Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote. The South, Al South African pastor writes this. His name's Emilio Alenio. And he writes this quote, and it really makes sense for me today. And it says this. It says, the attitude of the flesh is pride. Let me explain that. The human side of who I am, the human being part of Jeff Rodriguez, my flesh, my mind, and my soul is born into pride. 
But when I put Jesus in my heart and soul and mind, when I accept him and I allow him to become who I am, my attitude becomes of God and the spiritual part of me becomes part of God's plan. The human side is prideful and the fleshly side is, is drawing me away from God. But I allow the spirit to come in and I become more godly in the, the way that I live my life. So we're on this journey together and all of us are walking one step closer to meet our maker. And I know that sounds scary to some as I just had a birthday and I'm getting older. So, but we are on this journey. And here's what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to start bringing your Bible not because I get brownie points or I make any money on it, but where in the world can you bring your Bible today without being persecuted? Church should be at least the only place you dust it off, you pick it up, and you go, I'm going to bring you this week, honey. And you can walk around and you can actually mark it up. I don't know if you know that, but I know some people in church that their Bible is jacked up. It looks like it's on its last leg. And here's, I'll, I'll put up this picture next week because I don't have it because I was thinking about it this morning. It says, those who have a Bible that's worn out don't have a worn out life in Christ. Why is that? Those that's Bible is perfect, it's like, look, I got this gift from grandma 16 years ago. And it's like in the shelf, untouched. And their life's jacked up and they're wondering why. So will you guys stand and if you have a Bible, will you start to bring it? And if you don't have a Bible, my buddy Dustin, who gave us the announcements, got some Bibles in the back. He'd love for you to take them, put your name in them, if you want us to sign them and give them. When you give a Bible away, you're supposed to have somebody sign it and say, here's a gift. Bring it to one of us, and we'd love to sign it and give it to you. But the Bible is important. Use your phone. Use your Bible. Mark it up. Take it to community group and make your life better by digging into the Word of God. It's important. You're not going to get persecuted here for your Bible. We're going to praise you. And if you have it on your phone, trust me, I've switched the last four years. I've been doing my phone, and but I still believe reading the Word of God is important. So we're going to do that today. Uh, I'm going to start with Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 18. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this together. I'm going to shut off my mic because I'm dyslexic. I'll jack it up. But we'll all do it together. Ready? Hopefully that's not the only time you've read the Bible today or this week, but if it is, I want you to believe in this. The Spirit of the Lord is here. It's upon us. And He wants to set us free. And the beginning of that comes with pride. Now here's what I, I think you need to hear before I pray. If you want something different from your life right now, you need to be in a place of receiving and believing. I believe everything on this page right here. That God can bring us to freedom. But here's the thing. You have an opportunity right now at the start of the sermon to open up your heart, open up your soul and your mind and let God in. This might be the most important thing you do today. So I'm going to pray. And when you get into a posture of receiving Open up your heart, your soul, and if you don't know what else to do, just put your hands out like you're going to receive a gift. And let's pray. Father, we claim you as our Lord. We receive you, Father. 
I pray that you break down the walls of pride, that you show us where we are denying you, that you build us up as holy people of God, teaching us to be spiritual beings, walking away from this fleshly life. Father, use the text today in our heart, mind, and soul. We love you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we love you. Holy Spirit, work. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated, please. Bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. It's not for you. It's for your life. I went to a church many years ago every Sunday. And, man, I could feel it. I would cry during the sermon. And I'd go to worship like Jeremy and Tara were just singing. And, and I'd go to church and I could feel the power of God. But I never read my Bible. And a little bit later, I got a divorce. Lost my kids. Got locked up. What would it have been like if I just would have opened the text? And God was telling me to read, but I didn't. Until I read, and my life became part of his life. And my heart became part of his heart. And my soul was connected to his soul. Let's read and believe that God could do something like in Luke 18. Set the captives free. Blind seeing. Poor receiving. The favor of the Lord is here right now. I've got a couple of points I want to make sure that you hear through the message today. Uh, they're in your notes. They're actually the focal point of the notes. So I want you to take notes, write them down. Not because I'm saying such great things and I think I'm the greatest pastor of all time. I mean, I did get top 10 in Camarillo, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> we're, talking, we're talking about pride, and I just kind of stepped right into it. I mean, in my house, I, we know we're number one, right? I was number one for sure out of them, so talking about pride. Uh, today we're going to talk about pride. And here's what it says. Pride gets in the way of God. That's the first point that you need to have and understand. Pride gets in the way of God. If you have a relationship with God and it's not very strong, it's not very deep, it's not very impactful, you don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't understand it, you know, nine times out of ten. Actually, let's say ten out of ten because we never say that. It's pride. Pride is in your way. Pride goes before the fall. It puts hostility between me and the king for all little rhythmic, but it's very true. We are doing this sermon series, The King for All. And no matter where you're at, the King is for you. And Jeremy said he wanted everybody to be invited at the table. Jesus wants you to be at the table. Most of you won't get at the table because of pride. And if you sit down, you won't stay because of pride. It leads you right out. Pride is the lead to all sin. It's the originator of sin. If you look at all sin, it can lead back to a moment of pride. And we're going to see that today. As Peter denies Christ, it's because of pride. As you and I throughout the week have denied Christ and got into self, it's because of pride. Today we're going to read from Luke 22. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in Luke 22, 23, and 24. And my challenge is read Luke 22 this week. We still have another part next week. It's got a bunch of verses, but you will have a better understanding of where we're going. And maybe God will give you a great revelation that you will have during church this season. And watch God work. So here's what it says, Luke 22. We're going to go 31 to 38 and then skip and go down to the denial. But here's what it says. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. 
But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus doesn't call Peter by his name Caiaphas or Peter here. He actually calls him by his real Hebrew name, Simon. Why? Why is he calling him that? This isn't the name that Jesus gave him. He's trying to get your attention. You know, I don't know if you guys have that middle name, but when my mom says, Jeffrey Paul, I stop even today, and I run home. It's kind of awkward when it's in the middle of the night and she lives in Somas, but I run home because I can hear it. You remember mom calling or dad calling and putting your full name together? You're scared, and it gets your attention. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's giving him the real name. He's calling it out, and he's saying, Simon, and he's trying to change what he's uh, the impact of what he's going to say. But here's the even better part. He doesn't just say Simon. He says, Simon, Simon. And so he says it twice. Why? Well, this is a term of endearment from God speaking to a human being. And Moses at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, look it up. Exodus 3, 4, write it down, look it up, see if I'm telling you the truth. There's a moment where it says, Moses, Moses, and God calls him into this conversation with the burning bush. God is communicating and he calls it twice. Another time in Genesis 22, as Abraham has his hand up with a, a knife, getting ready to take his son, child protective services are on the way. He says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham stops. And things change. The sacrifice was given. And it wasn't his son. Here he's saying the same thing. Simon, Simon. And he's communicating him about what he wants. And he's trying to call him out in a way that transforms and changes everything. Because here's the thing. The world is upside down. Today and right now the world is going to turn upside down before its eyes. As he's heading towards the cross, Jesus, and he's heading towards the resurrection, the world in itself and on its axis spiritually is going to get turned upside down because of who Christ is. Jesus tells us that Satan has asked, can I sift Peter? To sift means to winnow, to separate the wheat from the tares. You kind of sift it through and the big chunks that aren't supposed to be stay on top and the grain goes down and you throw the other stuff out. And you take the wheat. And in our personal life, it's to be proved by trials. That's what to sift is. Now, in this conversation, I was talking to somebody after service. Jesus and Satan don't have a bad relationship. Anybody have an enemy? Really? Oh, you guys are, man, you guys are so spiritual. Wow. Wow. What, what, how's your church? Well, we don't have any enemies in our life. We're so loving and faithful. So I got a couple enemies. Uh, they're sitting in this section back there, wait, like that person right there. Don't duck. I see you, bro. Just kidding. But here's the thing. In the text, in a couple different places, Satan and Jesus have a relationship. And it's not like, oh, get away from me, Satan. You're bad and you're evil. They're having a conversation. He's like, yeah, Satan's asking, hey, Peter, can you sift me? And really what he's asking is, will you and the disciples want to be sifted, can we kind of prove that you are going to fall when you go through a little bit of trial? Because Satan knows that what Jesus is trying to do. Satan wants the disciples under his power. And he's like, can I sift you? And that you is plural, talking to all the disciples, believers. 
They're talking to him and said, can I sift each of you like wheat? And as I'm reading this and as I'm studying this, I'm asking myself, if he wants the disciples there, does he want me and am I a disciple? And if I'm a disciple, does he want me to follow him, Satan? And I would assume that he does. Because what better way to go after a pastor than to lead the church astray? But here comes the second point of the message. The first one, pride leads us from destruction. The second point says, many of us acknowledge Satan and his plan in our lives more than we acknowledge and believe that God and God and his perfect plan. Basically, what I'm saying here is many of us believe in Satan and sin more powerfully than we believe in God and who he is in his perfect plan. Let me give you an example. On Thursday night, I was uh, driving my daughter and her uh, friend to a concert. And we, we always think Satan's trying to destroy me. Oh, pastor, you got all these spiritual attacks. Well, that's true. But you know what? Most of my problem is me and not Satan. I can't blame him for everything. And so we're driving, we're getting through Agora, and all of a sudden the flashing red lights come behind me. Satan, what have you done? And the truth is, it had nothing to do with Satan. But also, I happen, we happened to go live or, you know, we were Facebook living or, you know, Instagramming. And so everybody knew I was getting pulled over at that moment, too, with my daughter's thing. And the truth is, I'd love to say that was Satan, but that's all Jeff. They're 83 miles an hour. That's what's going to happen. And I was kind of upset. Really? 83? I've done 100 here last week, and it's not that big a deal. The problem is most of the time we penalize Satan like, oh, he's the one. It's his fault. Man, if I wasn't into Satan's plan, God, he must be doing something really good in my life because I'm getting a lot of struggle. The truth is, no, that's all Jeff. Too often we give too much credit and power to Satan and sin and not enough credit to God. Hopefully that makes sense. Here's what it says, verse 32. But I have pleaded with you in prayer. Jesus has pleaded with you in prayer, Simon, that your faith should not fail so that when you repent and turn to me again, everybody say again, strengthen your brothers. What does this mean? The first thing it means is that Jesus intercedes for us. And I don't know what interceding looks like in your family, but this is what it looks like in God's family right here. There's a moment when Jesus is interceding for you and it looks like this. Not on the couch, not in bed. Because when I intercede in bed, I end up waking up at like six in the morning. This is what interceding looks like. And right now, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for you and me. He's interceding. And he says that in the text. He says, but I'm pleading for you in prayer, Simon. And he's trying to intercede so that you and I can have that right relationship with God. If you're looking for some great interceding texts, John 17, verse 9, John 17, verse 15. We're going to read those in just a second. But read John 17. That's the moment where Jesus is praying. And here, Jesus praying. And here's what he says in John 17, 9. My prayer is not for the world, but for those who you have given to me because they belong to you. My prayer is not for the world. It's for the people that call themselves believers. The ones that you've given to me, God, He's interceding. 
John 17, 15 says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. You know, when the lights get flashing and I'm going to get a ticket, I'm like, Calgon, take me away. I mean, Jesus, take me away. And the truth is, he doesn't take me away because he's like, Jeff, you need to deal with what you've done. He wants to clean up my mess, but he knows a good parent as a good father. But if he does it, I'll trust in him and he'll have to do it for the rest of my life. He wants me to clean up my own mess. He's not taking me out of the world. He wants to keep me from the evil one to make it even worse. And to let that ticket turn into even more darkness. Because I'm upset and full of pride. The second thing we see is he says, Simon, uh, I'm praying for you so that your faith won't fail. Well, why would his faith fail? He's a believer. I accepted Jesus Christ in 1978. I actually didn't, but I'm just kind of spouting out loud. And I'm a faithful believer because I've accepted Jesus. Well, you can be a faithful believer and have weak and limited faith. And Peter's world and the disciples' world and the world itself is going to be turned upside down. Trials are coming. The world is changing. And Jesus is saying, I want you to remember this moment in time because there's going to be a moment where you're going to have to come back to this moment and you're going to have to draw strength from it. And I'm going to want you to comfort the other disciples as you are building a church and as the kingdom of God is working through you, I need you to go back to this moment. Whatever he learns from this moment in his life, he's going to show us as he leads the church away from the resurrection and into the kingdom of God, which is still alive today. Paul writes about this, about comfort. Here's what he says, the Apostle Paul. Here's the address if you want to read it. It's first, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.4, and it talks about comfort. Here's what it says, 2 Corinthians 1.4. He comforts us all in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are comforted, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Here's what it says in the text. I listened to J. Vernon McGee uh, on the Bible bus in five years. And J. Vernon McGee says that this particular text, he says, the way that you work with another person is, he said, a drug addict or an alcoholic works with another drug addict or alcoholic. Somebody who's lost a child works with another person who's lost a child. A person that's divorced works with another person that's divorced. And someone that's struggling financially talks with someone that's struggled financially before. One working with another. What they've gone through, they learn and give that away. And in that, we grow and we deal with their consequences going, man, you've been there. And we learn and we get comfort. And that's what we see here. Peter is going to need to be comforted during this time when he rejects Jesus. And he needs to show us that a little bit later. The third thing we learn is the word repent. Some of your texts in your Bible say convert. This isn't conversion. Peter's a believer. He already believes in Jesus Christ. This word convert or repent, this isn't a repent and turn to the Lord and come to know him as Lord and Savior. This is a mindset shift, a heart change. This is increasing your faith. The Bible says many believe, but few follow, and even few are a disciple. A couple of months ago, I had the girls, my, my, uh, my daughter and her two friends, and we were talking about it. Many of us are in this place. This is the believing side of the stage. We believe in a God of our own understanding. We believe in a God, or I might even believe Jesus is real and he walked. And many people in this church believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is alive. Many believe. But there's a huge walk 
or chasm or divide between a believer and someone who follows the word of God. It's huge. It makes the Grand Canyon small. Because at one point you believe and another point you pick up the word of God and you start to follow and you believe. Even if everything in the Bible you don't agree with, you learn and trust and more will be revealed and your heart will start to sync up more with God and you will quit worrying about what the world is saying about the text. Many believe, but a few follow. And here, Peter has to have this heart change, this mind reset, this increase in faith. And that's what the Lord has said. So that you can strengthen your brothers. Verse 33 said this, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even die with you. At this moment, after Jesus is communicated that you need to strengthen and be and turn away, he's like, Lord, none of that's important. I'm ready to die for you. You see the pride. Peter has pride because he thinks he's valuable to the kingdom of God, which he is. God doesn't need him. God wants him. God doesn't need you, but God dearly wants you into the kingdom and working for his kingdom. Too often we feel like it's about me and he needs me. Listen, if I didn't get up here today, if I slept in and I really wanted to sleep in today. I mean, it was dark when I woke up. Last time it was dark was, I'm not even going to say it. I'll just say that it was dark when I woke up. But if I didn't come today, somebody would have got up here and preached. And it would have been okay. God doesn't need me. He wants me to be part of his kingdom. Here, pride leads to destruction. This attitude of flesh of Peter is going to end into this place of denying. Have you ever had this conversation with God? Lord, this is it. The flashing lights are happening. The divorce papers are on the kitchen counter. The child has come home and says they're using or drinking or pregnant. The conversation comes to a point where you're going to make some changes and say, this is it, Lord. Help me with this and I'll never do anything else again against you. But we don't follow through. A lot of shaking heads because we've all been there. Some this week. Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm going to die with you. If people started shooting, I'd put myself in front of everybody. Until the shots come. Then you're pushing out women and children to get out. Because we say something, but we really don't have the strength to follow through with it. Because it's not on our own strength that we can follow through with it. It's on God's strength. Peter meant every word. What Peter said, he meant every word. Lord, I'm willing to die right now. Lord, I'll go to prison. Lord, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to ride or die with you right now. Peter meant every word. Don't doubt that. That's not what I'm saying. He just didn't have the strength to follow through with it. Humans fall short on their own will. God strengthens us to follow through. And we'll see a little bit later in the garden that he falls short and the disciples fall short. And we'll see that next week. As I was going through this and studying, I started journaling. I just started writing. And here's some of the questions. This is just how my mind thinks as I was studying this. And it's kind of an inventory of myself and how I look at the gospel. And I just want to read some of my questions and hopefully it will make sense to you. And here's kind of some of the questions. Where in my life does pride lead to destruction? Where does my life is pride leading me to destruction? Do I even understand where pride is hurting me and my relationships? Where in my relationships has pride created separation? 
Am I missing out opportunities because of my pride? How many things have I missed out in my life spiritually because I'm prideful and arrogant? And the best question was, what would it be like, God, if I I had less or no pride in my life? Peter's willing to do anything. But he doesn't have the strength to follow through. Verse 34 says, and then Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you something. After Peter's got up, it's like, I should be the first disciple. I'm willing to go. I'm going to fight till the end. It's till death do us part, Lord. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. Because the world's going to change and your life's going to be upside down in a matter of hours. And here comes the truth. Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. You know, one of the things that Jesus does to human beings, he brings us to truth. And he comes to Peter, this rock that the church is going to be built on, the guy that stepped out and walked on water, the guy that has been there in every big moment of Christ's ministry, he brings him to the truth. Peter, you're going to deny me. Just so you know, I know, and I know you're going to deny me. And you're going to have to do some work to get out of that. I want to stop for a second. Jesus is leading someone in this room right now, or online, listening to the podcast. Someone's facing their truth right before God right now. Their pride, their arrogance. Jesus wants truth in your life. And all you can do is receive it or reject it. You feel that? It's your choice. The flesh is going to say no and run. The Spirit's going to say yes and transform. Verse 35, then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news, you you did not have money, a traveler bag, and an extra pair of sandals. You didn't need anything. No, they replied. So, and this kind of represents Luke chapter 9. There's a moment in Luke 9 where Jesus sends out the disciples to go out and have the authority to set the captives free, release people, heal, and do all these beautiful things. And now Jesus is referring to them and he's telling them that their world is going to change. Verse 36, but now he said, take your money and the traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. And here's some prophetic words. He was counted among the rebels. That's a prophetic word. Yes, everything that was written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords. Jesus says that's enough. There's a lot of ink. If Jeremy was up here, there'd be books of ink written about this particular passage. And this has nothing about protecting your home and getting guns and Uh, All of that. That's not what it's saying here. And we'll see a little bit later what happens with the swords. He's not saying everybody needs a sword. 
and the 12 would have a sword and they're going to be protected. He's saying that your world has got to be changed and transformed. He said things are going to change and you're now going to have to work differently and live differently because I am going to leave. And it's better that I leave because you're going to have this counsel and this spirit which is going to guide you. But the world is going to be different. It's upside down. The world is transforming right between our eyes and, and, and we need to understand that. Look at why are we in such a frantic moment in our society today. I can't even go get a roll of toilet paper. Seriously, I went to Costco, there's no toilet paper. What do you do? So if you got toilet paper, my address is, no, I'm just kidding, I don't. But the world is upside down because we're getting more and more distant from God. And Jesus is predicting it. And he's telling you the only way that you're going to be right-sized is filled with the Spirit, away from pride, away from flesh, and growing in the kingdom of God. And you will see the world as it's supposed to be. The next text talks about going to the Mount Olives. But here's what Jesus wants you to know. Jesus is preparing them and us for something new. I don't know if you guys have noticed in the church recently, but there's a fresh wind of the Spirit here really carving and moving and and growing us as individuals, walking away from things that are holding us back, walking away from pride and arrogance, and really allowing this to press in. And it has nothing to do with how many people are showing up and how much money we are receiving because that's not what this church is driven on. It's driven on growing in Christ and being rooted in His Word and His love. Jesus is trying to prepare them Satan wants them and us to lack faith. Satan wants us to fail. And Satan wants us to deny Jesus daily. How many times did you deny Jesus in your life this week? At Starbucks, at work, at school? The way you lived your life? When I got a ticket, I was really polite to the guy. Normally I'm not. But I was going to be a testimony to my girls but also to the officer, and he was really nice too. It's his job. Jesus is preparing us to fight the unseen spiritual battles with the unseen Holy Spirit, and he says he's going to change the world with this unseen Holy Spirit, and it's our job to tap into it and tap into God's will. That brings me to the third point, and uh, here's what it says. I am not comfortable in my skin until God reveals the king for all to me deep within. I know it's rhythmic, but that's just how my mind thinks. Let me say it another way so you don't want it so poetic. It says, my skin crawls until I find myself in Jesus Christ. Are you comfortable in your skin? Are you comfortable in who you are and what you are as a person? Because I know for many moments in my life, I was not. And I've had to press in and open up the Word of God and find out who I am. Pride and arrogance will not allow me to be comfortable. Blaming Satan and sin will not allow me to be comfortable. The only way that I can be comfortable is I take this long journey from the head to the heart of starting walking towards a follower. Taking that step. And when I get over and start to follow, the actual text says, I need to take someone with me. Let's go. We're going to follow Jesus together. I don't have to have a master's in theology to do that. I just got to have the guts to say, do you want to sit down and talk about Jesus? 
me being comfortable in my skin is I've got to make him deep within me. A lot of us are like, I've been in church for 40 years, Jeff. I've let it all go. And the truth is you've let 97% go and you've been holding on to that 3% for 40 years. Because you're uncomfortable what that's going to reveal about who you are. My skin crawls. My human flesh crawls in pride and arrogance until I find Jesus in that moment. In that trial, in that struggle. And in that I find Jesus. C.S. Lewis writes this, uh, it's called the Screw Tape Letters. There's a play about it, but here's what it says on how we drift away from God. Here's what it says. The safest road to hell is a gradual one. Gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, boom. I'm completely away from God. I haven't been to church in six months or a year. I haven't read my Bible in weeks, months, or years. It's a coffee stand. It's not a holy book from God. And all of a sudden I wake up and wonder why my, my life is horrible. Why my relationships are distant and why God is not moving and speaking within me. It's a gradual move. So at this, the next verse, and we're just gonna we're gonna talk about that next week. Jesus is praying in the garden, then he's met by a mob, and the prophecy begins, and the world starts to transform and change. It looks upside down to us, but it's right size in the way that God wants to see it. Here's what it says. So they, so he arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. Peter followed at distance, and the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined in, uh, joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. And finally, she said, "This man was one of Jesus's followers." Verse fifty-seven. But Peter denied. Woman, he said, "I don't even know him." After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, he retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. On daylight savings time at six in the morning, when it's still dark, Jesus predicted that he would deny him three times. The rooster crowed and the pride goes before the fall. He has now fallen. He is now on his knees and he has no idea what's happening. And how did it happen? I was just going to walk with him and go to prison with him and be his protector and do all this great things for him. And now, not. Verse 61 says, at that moment, are you there yet? Peter was sifted. At that moment, Peter was sifted, which means he's going to have to prove himself through trials. He's going to get winnowed away here, and he's going to have to find who Jesus Christ really is. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. He's not broken yet. 
He's been hit. He's been beat a little bit, but he hasn't done anything compared to what's happening. But now the Lord is looking at Peter. And the truth is, my buddy Randy came up after second service. He's not looking at you and me and Peter in anger. He's looking with love. I knew it, Peter. But I love you, buddy. I'm a king for all. You belong at my table. Doesn't matter what you've done, buddy. I love you. And I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I still believe everything I said about you. At that moment, the Lord looked at Peter and suddenly the Lord's word flashed in Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. How many times this week, this month, this year, 2020, have you denied Christ? Has your pride and arrogance not allowed you to experience all that God has for you? How many times have you sat and thought about Jesus and then did the complete opposite? Peter was sifted by the Lord's heart. At that moment, Peter was caught. At this moment right now, the Lord's looking down upon you with loving eyes, saying, I know what you've done. I know how you've treated me. You've been exposed and you've been revealed. You're denying me. You're keeping me at a distance because of your pride and your arrogance. God wants to work deep within your heart. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Judas couldn't handle it. Judas never had a heart change. Judas was not part of God's plan. What's the difference? The difference is Peter had a faith and he was strong in Christ and he worked through this process. He didn't just give up and hang himself. Those three days, those next few weeks must have been tough to deal with it. My best friend, my teacher, my Lord and Savior, I've denied him. And for what? Why wouldn't I tell the girl? Why wouldn't I tell the guy? Why wouldn't I confess and just admit? What are they going to do to me? Didn't I say I would die or go to prison? For what? How do I deal with guilt and shame when it's too strong for me? How do I deal with this? I need to be strong. I need to be faithful and I need to be ready because the world is against me. I need to be strong in the Lord. I need to be faithful to his word and I need to be ready because the world is going to come at me and it doesn't want me in this relationship with Christ. How do I deal with it? I got to be strong and faithful and ready to come against the world. And here's the last point and we'll get out of here. God sweetens outward pain by bringing inward peace through Jesus Christ. How do you get comfortable in your skin? He sweetens that pain with working on that inside part, changing you from the inside out. How do you get to this place? Well, I, I can only assume what Peter said and Jeremy and Jeff Barnett and Dustin and me were all sitting around and we were talking and Jeremy just said, look at the text backwards. 
Here's what Peter had to come to a realization. This man is one of the followers. I am a follower of Jesus, Peter had to say. He had to come to the conclusion, I am a follower. This woman said, he said, woman, I don't even know him. The truth is, I do know him. I am one of the disciples. I am a Galilean. This must be one of them. He's a Galilean. I am. He's been in my bed. He's been in my house. The last point is, I am who they say I am. How do you fight that guilt and shame? You live in the truth of who you are and your identity. My sister's got an identity class happening on Tuesday nights. You should look into it. It's a week or two old. But this is who I am. I am a follower of Jesus. I do know him. I'm one of his disciples. I am who they say you are. And that's what Peter rested himself on. And a little bit later, we're going to see his life is radically changed. And he becomes this bold man starting the kingdom of God. What do I do today? I confess I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian and I follow the way. And I believe in God's word 100%. I believe in God. I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to close with this verse. It's actually not a verse. It's a quote from Andrew Murray, a pastor. In the 1800s, he said, Pride must die in you or nothing in heaven can live in you. There's someone in this room right now and it doesn't have to be a man that's got so much pride in their heart and so much arrogance that God's not working in them. They're so full of self and what they think is right. And nothing in heaven can live in them. Pride keeps us in blocking God out. Satan's not as powerful as you think he is. Are you really comfortable in who you are as a human being? God wants to sweeten that outside pain by working on the inside of your life. I am who they say I am. I'm a believer. my Savior. Let's pray. Father, we confess our pride. Father, we confess our arrogance. We want heaven within us right now. We ask that you work boldly in our life right now. That we won't worry about anybody else as we worship and as we give, and as we serve, and as we love today. Just me and you, God. I want you to live inside of me. Because there's someone here that doesn't have God and a relationship with God in their heart. You can invite them in. The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you shall be saved. If that's you today, we'd love to say a prayer with you so that you can be a part of the kingdom of God and start growing from a believer that there is a God into a follower. That's you. Just repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. I know that you died and that you rose again 
for my eternal life. I thank you, Lord. Overflow me and anoint me with your Holy Spirit and teach me how to walk all the days of my life with you. In Jesus' name.